0: Thank you for tuning into my podcast Waking Up with Lauren Coletti. This is a show where we dive into relatable topics for relationships, attachment styles, metaphysical teachings, trauma and more. Thank you for joining in on these authentic conversations with medical professionals, experts and so many influential guests who come to share their experience and add value to the lives of myself and my beloved listeners. Thank you so much again for joining me in Waking Up Together. Cole is a psychedelic research coordinator in Fort Collins, Colorado. He works as a ketamine-assisted psychotherapy intern at Wholeness Center, conducting groups and individual ketamine sessions. He also coordinates an LSD for anxiety clinical trials through MindMed, where he is also a trained dosing session monitor. He is a coach and consultant for careers in psychedelics and cannabis recovery through his private practice, Lion Heart Wellness. Please join me in welcoming Cole Butler to our show. All right, my friends, welcome to another episode of Waking Up with Lauren Coletti. Today, I have a first type of interview. I've never done a show like this before, so I'm really excited to dive into this topic today. I'm joined with Cole Butler. He is a psychedelic research coordinator, and today we're going to talk everything psychedelic, so it should be really fun. Cole, can you introduce yourself to our audience?
1: Yeah, Uh, hi everybody, my name's Cole Butler. Yeah, primarily I am a coordinator, so that means that I kind of do all the logistical work for psychedelic clinical trials. Right now, I'm on an LSD for anxiety clinical trial with a company called MindMed, and I've also coordinated a lot of different MDMA clinical trials um, through MAPS, and I also do some work with ketamine therapy, um, I'm an intern right now through a master's program, so I do individual ketamine work and group ketamine work as well, which is really exciting.
0: Yeah, that's so awesome. I cannot wait to talk more about this because I think there's a lot of misconceptions and myths when people hear ketamine or LSD. So before we kind of jump into those myths, can you talk about what led you to where you are today in your own journey?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Well, I'm 26 years old right now, almost 27, but I got interested in psychedelics when I was a teenager, like 15 years old. I remember like reading about DMT and ayahuasca online and being like, that's fascinating. Had my first psychedelic experience um, at 16 years old. Um, It actually wasn't good. I didn't take like what I should have. I thought it was LSD and it was actually what's called 25i. Uh, So they say if it's bitter, it's a spitter, which means if it tastes really bitter, that's probably not actually acid and 25i can be pretty dangerous. So it actually kind of scared me. And I said, I don't know if I want to do psychedelics again, but then I tried real LSD. I tried mushrooms, tried a lot of different things. And Yeah, I just always was fascinated with psychedelics. Um, I was actually studying mechanical engineering in uh, college and after two and a half years, I had a really powerful experience on LSD that made me wanna study psychology. Um, So I really started studying psychology just with the idea of becoming a clinical psychologist, but I wasn't really thinking about like a career in psychedelics per se, I just thought, well, these are fascinating and there's research going on with them. Um, But yeah, I was kind of getting my training more in like um, child psychology and uh, parenting stuff. But I really, really wanted to make this shift to psychedelic research and therapy. Um, But even three years ago, I mean, even now it's still stigmatized in a lot of places and kind of hard to get into There's a big boom happening right now. So now a lot of people want to get in. Um, But anyway, the the long story short is that I came to Colorado to start a Masters of Addiction Counseling program. And I got connected um, with some folks doing psychedelic research and therapy. Ended up um, getting a job on the MDMA clinical trials ended up getting trained in ketamine therapy and um, really it's all just taken off from there and it's been like a roller coaster but yeah that's pretty much the highlights.
0: That's super neat. Um, I feel like it, it is very intriguing the research more that's being done in, in the last few years. I don't think I heard of ketamine therapy and maybe it was five years ago. I think my doctor said we suggest you try this and I looked at it and going back to the stigma, I immediately thought, oh, am I not gonna get addicted on this? And I find it interesting that you're going for a master's in addiction counseling when people's probably their first instinct is, oh, isn't ketamine and LSD aren't those harmful drugs that could do a lot more damage than good. So can we kind of address the the myths and, and talk about what might be right, what
1: might be wrong? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting. The addiction counseling and like certain (laughs) drugs and Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I mean, ketamine certainly can be used in a problematic way, you know, especially in the UK, there's a big problem with ketamine addiction and illicit um, use. For me, it really boils down to um, the context and your intention uh, of the use. So, I mean, yeah, if you if you're going to festivals and snorting a bunch of ketamine every day, that's not good for you. I mean, just straight up, it's bad for your body. It's probably not good for your mind. Um, but you know, the way that we do work with ketamine is you come in, you meet with a nurse practitioner or a psychiatrist, you do a full medical evaluation and intake, and make sure you're a good fit. Um, it's for a specific diagnosed condition. You might meet with a therapist several times before you ever do it. And then you do it inside of a clinic, you know, with somebody who's trained to sit with you. It's very safe, It's very intentional. Um, and we found that pretty much like doing it in this kind of environment uh, avoids a lot of those problems. It's just so different if you can imagine than doing it in a setting um, you know, outside of a clinic. I think that, that, you know, having that specific clinical setting and really being intentional about like, I'm doing this to get better. I'm not doing it every day. I'm being administered a certain amount by a trained professional. All of that leads to a very different experience than you would have, um, doing it out on the street or maybe snorting a little bit with your friends or, or whatever. I, I've never done it well. I've done it once in that way but it's different.
0: (laughs) Yeah so you are in Colorado so we know that a lot of things are legal there and I think in California as well if I'm not mistaken but here on the east coast I know that it's it's still illegal unless prescribed by a doctor I believe. Um, So if people did want to get started you know they have pretty bad PTSD, anxiety, depression, other symptoms, or maybe they're just interested in seeing what the experience would be like. What are the first steps that people should take if they were interested in learning more and potentially trying it out for themselves?
1: Yeah, totally. Um, Well, ketamine is a lot easier to access. So really across all 50 states, um, as long as there's people doing it near you. Uh, with some of the other psychedelics they're trickier in Colorado here we're getting psilocybin mushrooms Um, that bill was passed but the state is just working on implementing that and figuring out the regulatory framework so with some of the psychedelics um, like psilocybin you know that's harder to access but Ketamine um, is a Schedule Three on the Controlled Substance Act because it's been approved for some medical use. So as long as you have like a diagnosis, you can be prescribed it off-label. So there's a lot of ketamine clinics all over the United States um, that can do this work. Um, Some of them are not as good. You might just be left alone in a room hooked up to an IV and pay like $1,500 That's not how we work. We do a model called ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, um, which is more involved. And I was kind of talking about some of the structure that goes into that. But yeah, you know, I would just probably Google like ketamine treatment near me, try to find somebody um, that does specifically ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. And if they're talking about preparation and integration and sitting with you, like, those are all good things really to have in the experience but yeah that should be relatively accessible at least more so than some of the other psychedelics
0: interesting yeah I think um I get I get all of them confused you know the the mushrooms and the ketamine and then what is the, the this is a stupid question but I'm very much a beginner when it comes to this stuff what is the difference between psilocybin and ashwagandha and all the different types of psychedelics
1: Yeah, there's so many. I mean, some people say ketamine isn't even really a psychedelic. It's like a dissociative anesthetic. But we found that if you do it at a certain dose, like a sub anesthetic dose, that it produces some psychedelic like properties, Um, really. And then you've got a lot of the like classic psychedelics, which um, they primarily work on the serotonin system. Whereas like ketamine uh, works more with like GABA. So a lot of the classic psychedelics you're looking at are like psilocybin mushrooms and LSD and ayahuasca. Um, And ayahuasca works more with like um, the pineal gland and DMT. But, you know, mostly when people are talking about these kind of more traditional type psychedelics, they work on a lot longer- span of time. So anywhere from like five to eight hours, give or take. Um, I don't want to say they can be more powerful because they're just different, but you know, it's really kind of like you're taking the whole day. Ketamine, you can schedule a two hour appointment. You can go in, you're on the ketamine for about an hour and then you wake up. Essentially, you take off your eye mask, you're in the room with your therapist, you're kind of processing, and then you get a ride home, and then maybe like chill for the rest of the day or have a self-care day, but like, it's just shorter, it's easier to use in clinical practice. Um, We know more about it, um, but yeah, like mushrooms and LSD, they're just kind of bigger, all-day experiences, Ketamine, you can dissociate from your body. So, like having an out of body experience. Um, whereas LSD, mushrooms, things like that, you can kind of walk around. You can, I mean, I wouldn't recommend it per se to everybody, but you could walk around in the park. Um, you just kind of more mobile, I guess. And there, there's more that goes into that, but that's like the basic high level, I guess.
0: Interesting. And do you have a preference versus? doing an at-home treatment, because I know there's a lot of options with that now, versus going to a clinic and having a mental health clinician perform the ketamine experience for you.
1: Yeah, I mean, my my opinion, and I don't know everything, I mean, there's been a study published by Mind Bloom on their at-home ketamine model showing that it was very effective. Um, at home, I've heard personal experiences where it might not been as good. I mean, it's, I think, a little bit less safe um, to do it without having a person there sitting with you. Um, My perspective is that at-home ketamine is fine, but it's probably better if you've had experiences in a clinic um, first, like if you've gone and you know what to expect and you're sitting there with, um, a facilitator or therapist, like you get that kind of experience supervised. And then it's like, okay, well, this person's probably good to go home and, and do it themselves. And I have a friend that's done it that way. And he's had very powerful, um, at home experiences. Um, but he did all of his in the clinic before he started. So I think it's just, yeah, I mean, there's, there's some, you know, you could have a really challenging experience. Um, it's not really medically dangerous, but I've seen somebody like get really kind of panicked and kind of freaked out. And so having us there to like make sure she was safe was helpful.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Perhaps doing the the first option by going to have someone supervise and and make sure that you're doing okay with it. And then if you wanna do it again in the future, perhaps trying the at-home treatment, um, that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so when it comes to these types of therapies, who who's a good candidate for psychedelics and um, what can they expect the first time that they try it? I'm sure it varies depending on which type you're dabbling in, but I guess it's a two-part question. Who's a good candidate? And secondly, for first-time users, what can they expect?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's a lot that we still don't know. i kind of came around to this perspective of like, in terms of safety and stuff, and like having a really holistic understanding of, um, you know, what's safe and what's not. I mean, I'd say you probably want to be in a relatively stable place mentally, and we could get into the weeds on what that means. But um, there's that. And then like, schizophrenic and psychotic type disorders, um, you need to be careful. I certainly know people that have had a schizophrenic break on a psychedelic. So if you have a family history of schizophrenia or psychotic disorders, um, you need to like talk to somebody like a psychiatrist before you do any of this um so those are like the main two ones to work out for with like bipolar and mania it's a little bit less clear but in general like if you're currently in a manic state you're probably not going to want to take one um so those are kind of just some general things to look out for um and you know i like to also be the person that's like it's not a magic bullet but there's a lot of different conditions that various psychedelics have shown to be helpful for. So if you have a trauma history, you have depression, especially like treatment resistant depression, um, anxiety, uh, substance use disorders. Again, there's not a lot of evidence. Um, The evidence is still coming out, but a lot of the different psychedelics can be helpful and have shown to be helpful uh, for these different conditions. I personally have worked with frontline healthcare workers and first responders using um, ketamine-assisted therapy in a group model, and we've seen huge reductions in their trauma symptoms, their anxiety symptoms, and their depression symptoms, and we use, like, um, questionnaires to measure that pre and post, and pretty much their scores dropped in half on all of them. So, you know, it, it casts a pretty wide net, I mean, but when you're talking about some of those more intense, like serious mental illness, yeah, just tread carefully. Um, and then I think the other question was what to expect, right, as a first timer. Yeah, Um. I mean, it's good to kind of like have an intention going into the session, kind of. So uh, I did ayahuasca recently. And my intention was just meet the medicine and I did, and it was great. Um, And, you know, intentionality can be like, I really want to work on like my inner child or something. So it's good to kind of like have an intention, but not have an expectation because you don't really know where the session is going to take you. And there's so many, there's so much variability. Like, um, You really never know what kind of session you're going to have. You don't know what's going to come up. Um, it's really hard to predict. It's hard to standardize because it's so individualized. I mean, even myself, I've done like ketamine a handful of times. And the first time I did it, I did it intramuscularly. So a shot in the arm and I was like completely dissociated from my body. I felt like I was floating around up here. Um, I felt like I couldn't really even move my body if I wanted to. Um, and then the second time I had an intramuscular session, I was like talking, like doing verbalizations, like moving my hands, like doing hand movements and stuff, um, and kind of wiggling around my body, which felt really nice. So, and, you know, they were just very different experiences um so you know it's it's really hard to say exactly what's going to happen it's but it's good to just kind of like talk with your therapist or your sitter if you're working with somebody which I recommend for a first timer um and kind of just talk about if you have any anxieties any fears what intention you have going in to the session and just kind of being open to like whatever comes up
0: yeah that's Super interesting. I like what you said was to have an intention, but to release any expectations. Um, I think that that could lead to a very healing experience rather than having one where you're having not so great of an experience. And I actually have a a personal question because I just tried, I'm not sure what kind of mushroom it was, but two days ago, I took half of a dose. It It came in this little gummy. Um, it's the first legal mushroom gummy, I think in the United States, they said. It's from, from a brand called Sun and Silo. And I took half of, a, I actually took a third of the gummy, it, which was the micro dosing option. And then two hours later, I didn't feel anything. So I was like, all right, let me take half of a gummy and nothing happened. So I did throw up and I want to kind of touch on the purging aspect. I don't know if that was a side effect of the gummy or that I have the flu, probably not the best time to be trying these things the first time. Um, But does that ever happen where people have no effects? And can you kind of explain the purging effect?
1: Yeah, um, purging is typically something that you see in ayahuasca. So um, like the way they do it is you're like laid down on a mat and you have a bucket in front of you. And it's like most of the time people are gonna throw up Um, and with, uh, mushrooms, it's not like, I wouldn't say people don't normally purge, but you might get nauseous. Um, I've certainly gotten like nauseous or like queasy in my stomach. Um, so that, you know, that can happen. Um, it's just not the norm like it is with ayahuasca. Um, but what was the other part of the question? Like how to address if you don't feel it or something?
0: Yeah. Just, do people have little to no effects, perhaps their first, second, or third time trying this? Or does it depend on the dose?
1: Yeah, it usually depends on the dose. I mean, you see that sometimes, like I've heard from a couple of people with severe traumatic brain injuries that they took a large amount and nothing happened.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I don't really know what's going on there. Um, the typical dose range, like if you're eating like a dry psilocybin mushroom is anywhere from two to five grams. Um, So usually two grams will get you to have like a trip. Um, And that varies, you know, based on your body weight, your experience and things like that. Five grams, people call it a heroic dose because it's going to blast you off into the deep end, basically. Um, Microdoses normally, um, I mean, that's like a very, very small dose. They usually say like one-tenth of what you would feel. So usually micro doses are recommended to be a sub-perceptual dose, meaning that you're not even supposed to know it's there. Um, so that might be like, I mean, less than a 10th of a gram, you know, compared to two grams for a full, you know, experience. Um, so yeah, usually it's dependent on the dose. So it's hard to say exactly, like, I don't know how much you took, um, in that and yeah, you don't know either. It sounds like, but, um, yeah, in general, it's going to be dependent on the dose. Um, yeah. If, if you're taking like a microdose or somewhere around that range and you don't feel it, I would say that's to be expected. You might feel a little something. Um, but yeah, in general, that's that sounds right.
0: Interesting. And how about THC? Are you a fan of THC as well?
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't really like um associate myself with it as much. I mean, and this kind of goes back to your first question about like, ketamine addiction and like what that looks like in the clinic versus kind of on the street. And, you know, I had diagnosed, well I have diagnosed cannabis use disorder and I study addiction and I go to a therapist and I receive that diagnosis. Um, and, you know, like I just developed a problematic relationship with it myself. Um, and so I'm sober from it for over one year now.
0: Congratulations.
1: Um, That's awesome. Yeah, but I, you know, I don't like to put anything in a box. I've heard of people using um, THC in a very similar way to how we use ketamine, having very, very good results. And I recognize, you know, in like cancer patients, it can be very helpful. Uh, my friend Chad, he's the CEO of a, a data company called OnTraka and he works with cannabis and psychedelics and he had like stage 4 cancer and uh cannabis really really helped him out and so you know like i think it's helpful you know with certain conditions especially if you like medical conditions like cbd has been shown to be very helpful for stopping seizures um and i know like crohn's disease you know cannabis can be helpful so you know, I don't like to like demonize it. I just like, you know, I've had my own personal struggles with it. Um, and so I kind of like, I don't work with it, but you know, again, I, it's like, it's fine and I support you if you use it. And if you're like seeing that to be helpful with your clients or it's helpful in your personal life, like do you, (laughs) I'm very much kind of libertarian and like do what you want. Um, But yeah, I just, I just don't work with it like professionally or anything.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I really appreciate your transparency and I find it so fascinating how everyone is so different. Right. And for me personally, alcoholism runs in my family. So I've always had this kind of fear of, Even drinking alcohol or trying marijuana because of the addiction history. And I've more so had behavioral addictions than substance addictions in my life. So if Mm. someone does have an addiction history, would you tell them to tread carefully when trying these medicines? Or is it really more individual on how people will react to
1: it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as you allude to, it's hard to kind of make a general statement about it. I mean, there are certain, you know, psychedelics that have been shown to be helpful for addiction, you know, I believe psilocybin, and there's some research being done with ketamine right now for addiction. And for me, again, it like really boils down to that, like, are you doing it intentionally for healing in a clinic versus like doing it in the street at the same time? You know, I've also seen people get like really excited about psychedelics and become really, Obsessive and they overuse them. I've been at that stage in my life where I was like growing psilocybin mushrooms and I was like microdosing LSD, but like I would take like too much and then it wouldn't even really be a microdose and I'd be going to work and like I kind of like got a little bit like too too into it, I think. So think like you have to be really cautious especially if you do have that kind of history Um, if you're using it like underground or illicitly or on the street like kind of just really be honest with yourself and say you know like am I doing this to like really heal or am I doing this because you know I I want it or it's fun or like are you becoming dependent on it as like a way to heal like oh if I just keep taking this I'm going to get healing without like really doing the work because a lot of the times the healing effects can come afterward you like have uh, an experience and then you need to go and like integrate it and you need to like talk with people about it and write about it and journal and like maybe do art or music or whatever or yoga and like kind of really figure out like, okay, well, this came up and this was really big. You know, you gotta, you gotta do that too. So if you're just doing the substance and you're not doing like the integration work, um, that's probably a sign that you maybe take a step back.
0: Mm. Yeah. And my last two questions, I'm not sure if they could be answered in the same uh in the same breath, but why are psychedelics so effective? for healing trauma you know let's say someone has gone to therapy for the last 10 years which this is what i found to be true i could talk about the trauma until i was blue in the face it it really wasn't doing anything for me but i know everyone's different so one why are psychedelics so helpful in healing trauma and two what is what are they doing in the body and what does the research say that they're doing to the brain that make them so effective
1: yeah these are these are good questions um that we're still figuring out in a lot of ways um as i mentioned i worked on the mdma trials so the maps mdma for ptsd um and i've seen a lot of that and i understand that better and kind of part of the argument there is that it shuts the mdma shuts down the amygdala, it reduces blood flow to the amygdala, which is where you see a lot of emotional reactive kind of processing, it's that like fear response. And also it's been shown that trauma can really be stored in the amygdala and really that emotional heightened response. So getting that thing to quiet down allows you to engage with the trauma in a way that, you know, it just doesn't have that emotional power and you're less likely to like re-experience the trauma. In this kind of unconscious way and that you can really face it and be there with it um also part of that model is sitting with two therapists that are trained in this that really care about you usually a male female duo you're there with them for eight hours like you're doing specific therapy work um which doesn't always happen with psychedelics um And on top of that, I mean, it's just like a cocktail of like good neurotransmitters, like oxytocin, serotonin, and dopamine are all activated um, on MDMA. So you're just feeling really good. You're with people, they care about you. The amygdala is quiet down. So you're not like re-experiencing the trauma. You're there to work on your trauma. I mean, that model really is kind of like, I would say the best one, and we have like strong data and we're about to have more strong data. So that's really what I go to with PTSD, um, but that's, you know, it's not quite legal. It will be in, it should be in like a year or two. MAPS is just submitting their final data to the FDA now. Um And then yeah, other psychedelics, it's less clear with trauma. Um, I've seen in our ketamine groups with those healthcare workers, I've really just seen like people able to like access some memories in the same kind of way. It's just easier to see it kind of from a different lens. So I'll give a short example, Um, one lady, She works with people like, I guess she's the first on the scene when there's like a tragic accident and she has to write about it. So she sees a lot of these people and a lot of their stories um, and kind of hangs on to these stories as a way of saying, like, I want this person to live on um, in my memory. But it was almost like she was being haunted by these people. She couldn't let them go. And she was just really balled up. And then she kind of was able to just let them go and kind of let them float away and they didn't have as much power over her anymore. Um, So, you know, I don't really know what's happening in the brain with those ones as much. Um, With MDMA, it's a little bit more clear and well-researched, but you know, yeah, we still kind of got to unpack some of that with other psychedelics, but I think, you know, I think MDMA assisted therapy specifically, with like two trained therapists is really the route for trauma healing. Hmm.
0: The trial sounds fun. I wish I could have participated in it. Um, If people want to get involved, uh, where would you direct them as their first point to learn more about this kind of stuff? Do you have a website or what was the company that you're working with again?
1: I work for the Wholeness Center in Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, We do ketamine assisted work and we run some of these clinical trials. Um, Gosh, you know, I'm trying to think of like a good place for general information. I really love a website called Psychedelic Alpha and they have a newsletter and they kind of update on what's happening in the space um, you can follow me on LinkedIn my name is Cole Butler and you know I post about this stuff and maybe you know if you find me you'll find other people talking about the space um, there's some good shows on Netflix so how to change your mind um, both a book by Michael Pollan and there's a documentary series on Netflix called how to change your mind which is helpful um that that's kind of a good starting point like if you just want the basic information the psychedelic alpha things more in depth um yeah no that's probably that's probably what i'd say to get started
0: thank you for sharing i'm gonna have to look up that netflix documentary because i love learning and geeking out on this stuff i think it's so fun um but yeah cool this is a really fascinating discussion i feel like i learned a lot and there's probably still So, so, so much to learn, never stops. Um, But as far as you, what are you presently working on? Do you have any final resources to share and where can people find you?
1: Yeah, um, let's see. The main thing I'm doing right now is an LSD for anxiety clinical trial. If you're in the northern Colorado area and you have anxiety, um, you can reach out to me. Uh, my email, and I'll, I'll send it to you, Lauren, for the show notes, is cole at focogad.com. Um, so yeah, so mainly I'm working on this clinical trial. I'm also going to be a dosing session monitor, which is kind of like a trip sitter, basically on that trial, which is really exciting. Um, like I said, as, as an intern, I do some individual ketamine work and group work. Um, I have a small private practice called Lionheart Wellness, where I do coaching and consulting and psychedelic careers. Um, I'm happy to schedule free 15-minute phone calls with people, I'll kind of get to know you or offer you some general advice. And I also do it as a business um, to kind of help with people that want to make that transition So yeah, so that, that's probably a good thing. Like if you're out there and you're like, I'm a therapist, I don't know much about psychedelics, but I want to work in this space or I learned about them or had a good experience. Um, I can direct you there. Uh, I also do cannabis use recovery coaching. Um, as I mentioned, my own struggles, I've kind of figured out how to manage it myself. Um, so I do that through that Lionheart wellness also that's lionheartwellness.net. Um, Yeah. And then as I talked about, you can just find me on LinkedIn. I need to increase my social presence. But right now I just really like post on LinkedIn as my main thing. I talk a lot about psychedelics. Um, Yeah. And you can find me on there and message me if you want.
0: Awesome. You're doing such, such great work. And I'm really thankful for having you in this space and all the people that you're helping. And I want to give you one last thank you for coming on the show today and sharing your wisdom. And I think our audience will be able to learn a lot from this episode. So thanks again.
1: Great! Yeah, thank you, Lauren. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been very fun.
0: Even The best workout regimen can result in tightness, soreness and pulled or strained muscles. That's why I use Numi CBD cream as part of my post-exercise cell care routine to relieve tenderness, aches, and pains. Numi Relief Extra Strength Salve contains 1,500 milligrams of CBD. It's USDA organic certified, vegan, gluten-free, and kosher with no artificial flavors or preservatives. A small amount goes a really long way, and a jar can even last well over a year. This salve keeps my muscles loose and relaxed resulting in quicker recovery time and higher endurance to keep my workouts going. Check it out for yourself today.